Our second reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him, keeping their distance. They called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this story is so often focused, I think, on one particular part of the text. I am sure this is one that you can remember hearing at least a time or two, right? Ten people were there, they were healed. One came back. This is one. As a pastor's grandkid, I heard maybe one too many times when it was like, now, no, you need to make sure to say thank you. The Samaritan did, you should too. And I think this is important. Once again, we see that the foreigner, the one that should be derided, should not be expected to do any good. Remember that the Jews saw the Samaritans, this is my favorite quote, is, quote, suspect and degenerate. Samaritans were not trusted, were not liked, were not valued. To the Jews, the Samaritans were, were supporting a knockoff God in a knockoff part of town. And they were the ones causing the most problems to the Jewish culture. Why out of anybody should it be the Samaritan that's the one that's giving praise to Jesus for being healed? He is the least likely one to recognize God's grace, but he does anyway. And over and over again in the Gospels, you see that the Gospel writers felt it was really, really important to demonstrate that the Gospel was not just meant for those who were supposed to be the ones that got it. It was always the Samaritan, the woman at the well. This story, the Samaritan who saved the man at the side of the road. We often call that story the Good Samaritan. There's something about those that are on the outside that seem to get it better than those who are on the inside. So, I could wrap up the sermon there. We could be done 20 minutes early. But, sorry. It's only 10% of the individuals that were supposedly healed in this story. There's like nine other guys in this story. And oftentimes when we start getting focused on 10%, I'm often curious about what happens to the rest of the 90. Where do they go? This reminds me of, I see these on Facebook all the time, 
but like it'll tell the story of like only one person out of a hundred will share this, so be sure to share this, right? This is like only one person out of ten will go back and recognize that Jesus is who Jesus is. Have share if you believe too. Who'd have thought we'd have a faithful story in the text there? But what was the fate of the nine? They asked for Jesus' mercy, sure enough. There's no indication in the text that somehow there was this different conversation that nine of them said, well, Jesus, show mercy, and then that'll be sufficient. They all said the same thing. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So what's different here in this text is they saw Jesus as Master. And this word, oftentimes when we hear Master, the word we think that is translated from is rabbi, right, teacher. But in this case, it's a different word. It's a word that means more like superintendent or overseer. This was like, um, see, I'm not good enough with Harry Potter. So what's the name of the guy who like oversaw Hogwarts? Ah, see, there's my Harry Potter name. To these lepers, Jesus is the Dumbledore of this group of people, the overseer, the person who's the main teacher. But what's different is that the group saw Jesus as some sort of healing teacher, but not necessarily God. It was a Samaritan who saw Jesus for who he was. But yet, in the midst of that, those nine were still healed. There's no moment after this story where Luke tells us, and then they didn't come back, and so the leprosy came right back on them. There was no, you know, kind of gotcha moment. They were still healed. There is nothing in this text to indicate that simply by not returning back to give Jesus thanks was sufficient to not be healed and be saved. They still left the leper camp, still went to the priest, and they went home. Can you imagine some of these stories? If you had a family member, you know, back in that day, you weren't able to just, um, you know, kind of take some medicine and be healed of leprosy. Often, you were designated to be a part of a camp somewhere outside of town. Could you imagine? After that happened, you know, your Uncle Tim, like Uncle Tim usually gets into trouble. Now he's got leprosy, and now he's at the corner, and here he is after going to the priest. He comes home. Can you imagine the first dinner after being cured of leprosy, what that would be like? Uncle Tim, you're home, and you look awful clean. What happened? I asked Jesus for mercy, and do you know what happened? Jesus healed me, and I did what he said. I went right to the priest, and as I was going, the scales fell from my, my body. I looked like I did before all this started. Can you imagine being able 
your work again because you were healed, because you asked for mercy? Can you imagine all of the stories that disseminated from that moment? This one act of healing, 10 people, the gospel spread. Because you can't hide no longer having leprosy. You can't hide when the scales off of your body fall away because Jesus heals you. This, my friends, is God's nature. 2 Timothy reminds us of that. It's important to notice that it was the Samaritan's faith that made him well. Jesus makes that point. So there's something here about faith. And remember this month, we're going to study a little bit more about what does it mean to live into faith. But the writer of 2 Timothy reminds us that if we are faithless, God still is faithful. You know, in this sort of section uh, that Gene read, in, in your Bible, if you look at it, you'll see that it's kind of indented. The thought is that this could have been an early creed of the church. You know, they would stay together at worship, and they would remind themselves the nature of what they believe. So what else would have been the faith of the nine? They believed that Jesus would heal them, even if they didn't quite get it right. Even if they didn't entirely understand who Jesus was, they thought, you know, he's some sort of special teacher. But he's not God. It seems only the Samaritan got that, which is fascinating that it took somebody from the outside to recognize who Jesus really was. And that's like six or seven sermons waiting to happen. Especially right now. But what's more important for today, for us, is to remember that no matter what happens, God will. 
even if we don't entirely get it right. God's love is not contingent on any one of us. But we can tend sometimes to want to believe that it is, right? That we can get ourselves caught up that the service we do in the church comes with some sort of strength that people should join or people should change or people should say thank you. Do we still teach our kids to say please and thank you? But if your child is ill and asking for help, are you going to say no because they don't say please? No. You're going to hold the bucket for them. You're going to clean them. You're going to care for them. You are going to take the scales off of their body, whatever they are, no matter how grateful they seem to be at the moment, because you love them. And you will care for them. No matter what they believe at that moment. And yeah, here's the thing. Hopefully, anybody who comes to the church and they're hearing these stories, they're going to want to change. Right? I mean, we want to hope for that. We want to hope that people will join the church. That's great. I love having more people hanging out with us. It's nice when people say thank you. It makes you feel good. But God will not change. God will not stop being faithful because of that. And so who are we to dictate who gets to be loved and who doesn't? simply because of their actions afterwards. It seems to put us in a position that we do not belong in. Presuming that we have any sort of authority over some direction of God that we ultimately do not have. In fact, short of, what 2 Timothy says, short of denying God, which the Greek there is more of an active disowning, not even doubt, not even a lack of understanding, not even a lack of appreciation, but straight up like, I am done with God, out, done, will never believe in God. That is the only time that God will deny us. So take heart. You walk in here this morning and you're like, oh, what's going on in my life? I really question the good attitude. That's not denial. And God will still be you in the midst of your doubt, because God is faithful to God's son. Because God can't be in another way. So instead, I wonder, instead of trying to figure out, like, like Timothy, like the writer of Timothy says, instead of like trying to mangle the words of like figuring out, well, how does this work technically, or how this doesn't work technically, how about we just be workers unashamed. What if we left this place today and with all the faith that we have at this moment, say, I think God will still heal people today. I still think that if I leave here and somebody says, have mercy, and I'm willing to give whatever mercy I'm capable of, will go, and they will tell the story of the faithfulness that they received. 
if they say, thank you later, not only if they tithe somewhere between 3 and 5%, because we won't even mess with them if they're under 3. Let's be workers unashamed. Let's say, hey, I believe in a God that is faithful no matter whether I am faithful. And the only way God shuts the door is if we shut the door on God. And that takes a lot of work to do. That we're happy to give no matter what, because in that, that is where our faith is made real. Those times that the person comes back and says, I don't know why this happened, we celebrate. We say, is that faith? This made you mad. I worry sometimes that we try to live our lives of faith like the Facebook meme. We are more apt to want to work with people if they're willing to click share and be one of the 10% that are willing to share whatever it is. My friends, there are still 90% of the people who still need to know God loves them. Now, if you share those, that's cool. I'm not, I'm not judging that. Because Lord knows our Facebook persona is not our real persona. But let's not live into a life of faith. It simply dictates if we hit share on whatever interesting comment there is. That is the thing that demonstrates one's faith and one's ability to give. Friends, let's believe that God will heal anybody who asks. Because if you want to see where God is active in this world, go to the place where no one wants to be. The place where the lepers are crying. Lord, have mercy. And watch them get healed. That's where God is today. That's where the kingdom is breaking into this world. Thanks be to God that it doesn't 